All right, good evening. Good evening, so happy to have you guys here. Are you pumped about Thursday night church? All right, yeah. I was telling somebody on the front row, there are a lot of expectations in worship. In Mount Olive, we don't have to yell. So Pastor Gage is teaching us right. So uh, man, I am loving being here tonight. Well, my name is Andrew, and I am the Mount Olive campus pastor. And it is absolutely a treat to be over here with you guys tonight. Pastor Jim will be back on Sunday, but uh, he asked me to fill in for him tonight, so I'm honored to do that. I want to tell you, uh, it is hard to follow Pastor Jim, okay? You just can't help but feel a little bit inadequate, okay? The man is incredible. Here's what I mean by that. See, me and Pastor Jim, when he came over here and took the Goldsboro campus, it was kind of weird because we were peers. And so I'm at the Mount Olive campus, he's at the Goldsboro campus, but here's what I've quickly discovered. We have an office beside each other, and I would walk by his office, and I would hear him, and he would be on the phone talking with somebody about the Goldsboro campus. And I'm like, you know, I do that too, so uh, no big deal. And then, a little while later, I would walk by his office, and he's on the phone with somebody from the Acts 2 Network. He's still leading the Acts 2 Network, a, a global, I mean, it's bigger than nationwide, it's bigger than the U.S., a global ministry. And I'm like, okay, all right. So he can run a campus, kind of, and do this global ministry. All right, feeling a little bit insecure. And then <clears throat> I went by his office a little bit later. And, uh, you know, he was a missionary. In addition to being Dr. Jim Wall, he was a missionary for several years in the Philippines, planted a bunch of churches, a Bible college, all this other. <laughs> Y'all, I ain't playing. I got the Holy Spirit up here with me. <laughs> Don't mess with me. Anyway, walked by his office a little bit later. The man is talking to a missionary in Spanish. So I'm well aware I'm no Pastor Jim, but I'm excited to be here tonight. All right, I want to ask, have you been giving out the invite cards? Please nod your heads this way right here. Let me see everybody nod, even if you have to lie in church, okay? Next weekend is Easter weekend, and so there are going to be three opportunities for you to be in church here at the Goldsboro campus, we are adding a 9 a.m. service. So even if you volunteer on Thursday or you volunteer at 11 a.m., you can still invite somebody, tell them that you'll sit with them, bribe them with food, do whatever you have to do to get them here. Because here's what we know. I promise you, I sit in the staff meetings. Our heart is not just to get a big attendance number for Easter. Here's our heart. You could invite somebody and their whole life could change. <laughs> so that's going to do that all service long. Just get ready. <clears throat> but guys, seriously, it could change their whole life. They could come to a knowledge of Jesus Christ and who he is. They could experience the hope and love of Jesus for the very first time. And it could change their lives, their families' lives, their kids' lives. It could mean that a godly legacy is going to start being left. 
instead of a legacy of death and destruction. And so that's why we're excited about inviting people. That's why we're encouraging you to invite people. I sat in the office of a gentleman in Mount Olive yesterday, and he was telling me he was so excited. He's like, Pastor Andrew, you've been sharing those invite stories on Sunday morning. I've got one. I said, all right, man, tell me what you got. He said, there's a guy who I work out with, and I gave him an invite card the first week we got it, which was like three weeks ago. He said he has been to church every Sunday since I gave it to him. He didn't wait for Easter. He came on to church, and now he and his girlfriend are in church regularly. Give it up for that. I'm going to have to go, and apo- go ahead and apologize about my voice. Uh, I am dealing with a persistent cough that just won't leave me alone. And I'm going to go ahead and apologize about whatever that is. <laughs> All right. Well, we are wrapping up a series tonight called At the Cross. And so here's what we've been saying. We have been looking at Matthew chapter 27 as our home base. And uh, we have said that Matthew chapter 27 is really one that every Christian should know and be familiar with. It's one that we should read several times throughout the year just to remember, just to reflect on what it is that Jesus Christ did for us. Because he was perfect and sinless. He knew no sin, and yet he bore all our sin on him. He died in our place. And here's what we're learning from looking at Matthew chapter 27. There were some attitudes of the people around him during his crucifixion. And here's what we're saying. We believe that we can learn from those attitudes. And so we said the first week that the scribes and the Pharisees, they had an attitude of self-righteousness. That self-righteousness crucified Jesus. Oh yeah, we got it up here. Then the second week, we looked at Judas and his life. And we saw that hypocrisy crucified Jesus. And then last week, we looked at Pontius Pilate, and we saw that cowardice crucified Jesus. Here's the question that Pilate got to. Here was the crux of where Pilate got to with Jesus. He said, what should I do with Jesus? He really didn't know. He knew that Jesus didn't do what they said, what they accused him of. He knew that Jesus was innocent. His wife, the voice of a loved one, came to him and said, Don't you mess with Jesus. You leave that man alone. I've been having nightmares. And yet, Pilate caved in to the opinion of the people. Pilate caved in, and he cowered, and he ultimately, that cowardice, crucified Jesus. And so here's what I want you to do. If you missed any of those sermons, we tell you every week, uh, you can email us at info at bridgechurch.cc and request the Goldsboro notes. Also, if you have your Bible app on your phone, uh, you, can all, you can go on there, click on events, and you can see the very uh, scriptures and sermon notes I'm preaching from. And uh, also, if, you wanna, if you're going to post anything on social media, uh, we want you to use the hashtag at the cross. Here's what's so neat about that hashtag. You guys know that we are one church with three locations. I want you to say that with me. Let's say it. One church with how many? Three locations. So here's the neat thing. We might talk about something in Mount Olive, or I might expound the scripture a little bit differently, or Pastor Jim might, or Pastor Farrell might. 
And so the neat thing is that we are able to learn from each other and see what the other campuses are learning. So it's a really neat tool. So use that hashtag at the cross. And even though we're at three different campuses, it kind of keeps us all connected. Okay. All right. So let's go back to the list there. Here's where we are tonight. Skepticism or doubts crucified Jesus. Skepticism, cynicism, doubts, they crucified Jesus. Let me show you. In Matthew chapter 27, verse 39 through 44, it says, And those who passed by him blasphemed him, wagging their heads, saying, You who destroy the temple and build it in three days, Save yourself if you are the son of God. Come down from the cross. So those who passed by Jesus, those who were just in the crowd, they were skeptical. Is Jesus really who he claims to be? It doesn't seem like it. If you can do that, then do it. And so they were skeptical. And then we see another group. The chief priest also mocking with the scribes and the elders said, He saved others. Himself he cannot save. If he is the king of Israel, let him now come down from the cross and we will believe in him. He trusted in God. Let him deliver him now if he will have him. For he said, I am the son of God. So these scribes, these chief priests, they're making fun of Jesus. They're mocking Jesus. And then, as if it couldn't get any worse, Even the robbers, say that with me, even the robbers who were crucified with him reviled him with the same thing. They had no idea that if Jesus wanted to, he could have called down legions of angels. That's what scripture tells us. But instead, he let common criminals mock him, be skeptical of him, i got to be honest with you. I cannot imagine how hard that must have been for Jesus. If it weren't enough that he was beaten, if it weren't enough that he was having to die for my sins and for your sins, but to know that sinful humanity, that here are these people that God created and they are mocking him. I just can't imagine. Now, in the past few weeks, it's been one group or one person that we've looked at. But tonight, we see that it's many people who had this attitude. It was the passers-by. It was the scribes and the, the elders. And it was the criminals who were skeptical, who hurled insults at him, all doubting that he was the Messiah. You know, as I I think about doubt, I can't help but think about my own life. Be honest with you guys, uh, and this should come as no shock. I deal with doubt. There are uh, so many examples I could use. I wanted to keep it lighthearted, though. But I think about when me and my wife were getting ready to have our son. That was two years ago, a little over two years ago. We've been married for six years this Sunday. This Sunday's our anniversary. And uh, she is just an incredible lady. She um, is talented. She's the worship leader at our Mount Olive campus. She's beautiful. She's incredible. And guys, she's off the market, okay? (laughs) 
<clears throat> but a little over two years ago, when we were getting ready to have our son, I was talking with my wife, and I'm like, you know, just kind of taking my cues from her. I know the maternal instinct is a powerful thing. And I said, um, you think we can do this? I mean, they're going to let a baby come home with us. And we had our friends come over and check out the car seat to make sure we had put that in right. We had them come over and check out the crib and to make sure, like, is there anything hazardous in here? We just were nervous. We, we were full of doubt ourselves if we could do this. And so when we got to the hospital, we began to share that doubt with our parents and our family. And here was kind of the common sentiment that we heard. Oh, you'll be fine. It'll work out. It, yeah, I know. Well, for you, you've got like three kids that are all older now. We don't know what we're doing. So we began to feel some doubt. And we were kind of, it was like, oh, you'll do it. It'll be fine. So we said, <clears throat> we better tell somebody else about this. Our parents don't seem to care. So we told the hospital staff at the risk of having DSS called on us. And we were like, do you realize you're going to send a baby home with us? Right? So you get that. And they are, yeah, you'll do fine. It'll be great. So we have Mason. He's perfectly happy and healthy and all that stuff. And so everything goes, goes normal at the hospital. Everything goes well. And they send us home. And let me just say, thank God for my mother-in-law. See, you guys record at this campus. So... Thank God for my mother-in-law. <laughs> At Mount Olive, we don't record, so I can say all sorts of stuff, and then when people bring it up later, I'm like, that doesn't sound like something I'd say. Plausible deniability. Anyway, thank God for my mother-in-law. When we were released from the hospital, came back home. She stayed there with us for a couple days. But Sunday came, and she had to be back at work on Monday. And so... Sunday evening, she said, you guys good? You got this? And by that time, we were beginning to feel a little bit better. The doubt had left. We were like, yeah, I mean, you've showed us how to, what do you call it, swoon, swaddle? Yeah, swaddle. You've showed us how to swaddle. I don't know. We should have still had doubts. I don't even know what I'm talking about now. Anyway, she leaves. I will never, ever, ever forget those taillights leaving my driveway. And my wife came over to the love seat, and she said, Babe, it's the first time we had been alone with our son, just us, since he had been born. She was like, Man, I just want to sit beside you. I just want to be near you. I'm watching football because it's football season. It's Sunday night. I said, Okay, come over here. We don't have to talk, right? No, I just want to be near you. Okay. So she comes over there. We're sitting there. I kid you not, within 20 minutes of my mother-in-law's taillights leaving the driveway. We weren't feeding him. I don't know how this happened. All of a sudden, I hear, I just want to tell you guys, you don't know me that well. I am not the person you want around you in an emergency situation. So I just kind of hopped up off the couch, and I said, what are you going to do? maternal instinct was there by that point. She popped him over, popped his back. He was fine. Just want to tell you, the doubts were back. 
Here's what I know, guys. The fact is, every one of us has doubts. We all have a tendency to second-guess ourselves. Did I do the right thing? Did I make the right decision? Sometimes we're even paralyzed from making any decision because we don't want to make the what? Wrong decision. So what's the big deal? If everybody has doubts, why aren't we better as a society with dealing with them? Because I'll be honest with you, I've been doing this pastoring thing for about six years now, and here's what I've noticed. There are some people that are able to defeat their doubts, and then there are some people that hold on to those doubts and cling to them, and they allow those doubts to paralyze them and defeat them. And here's what I know. God has you on this earth, each and every one of you, for a purpose and a plan. And God wants to do something amazing through your life. He wants to use you. But if you're holding on to doubts, if you're harboring those, it significantly limits what you're going to be able to do in God's kingdom. So here's what I want to talk about. I want to talk about two common causes of doubts. And then I want to talk about three ways how to keep our doubts from defeating us. Because here's what I know. Doubts kill more dreams than failure does. So number one, first common cause of doubts, and there are so many. I just picked two. But number one, critics. Critics. Those people who challenge us, who ridicule our beliefs. The Bible talks about scoffers even, even in Scripture. See, mockers, critics, that's nothing new. I think about King David. Now, King David... In addition to being king, he was also an incredible warrior. This man could fight. He killed Goliath. He led many military campaigns. This guy, you don't want to mess with David. And yet, there were people who were critical of him. There were people who scoffed at him. Let me show you. Psalm 73, verse 8. They scoff at God. How proudly they speak. And so God's people are dismayed and confused and drink it all in. Does God realize what's going on, they ask? Here's what I see there. I see that critics, scoffers, doubters, cynics, they've been around for a long time. And so you've got one of two reactions to do. You can disregard them or you can allow them to affect your life. And then what happens is you only believe what you can understand. The problem with that is it is hard to understand so much. See, I, I gave these notes and I gave these slides to the media team. And they put them in. They're doing an incredible job tonight. Thank you to the media team, especially for making that sound stop, whatever that was. God bless you guys. But here's the amazing thing. I don't understand how they can input stuff on a computer. It runs from way back there to way up here, and it appears on these TV screens. I don't understand how all that works, but I believe it. I don't understand why redheaded people are so naturally talented and good-looking, <laughs> but I believe it. We're just having some fun tonight. Here's what I know, being serious. God is infinite. 
He operates outside of space and time. He's the alpha and the omega. He, ha- he, was, he was never created. He was before the beginning. He'll be here at the end. God, he is just absolutely incredible. He's infinite. And yet, all of us are finite. That means there is a, we have a beginning date and an end date. There's a certain amount of knowledge and understanding we can have. And so if we are finite and God is infinite, we're never going to be able to understand all there is to know about God. But if we could, he wouldn't be God, would he? And so there are always going to be critics because there will always be people who don't understand the full nature of God. Number two, the second common cause of doubt is circumstances. Circumstances. When our prayers are not answered as soon as we would like or in the way we expected. When tragedy strikes, when we're faced with an impossible situation, what happens? Doubt rears its ugly head. I think about in Mark chapter 4. Even back in Jesus' day, they dealt with these doubts through bad circumstances. Here's what happens. In Mark chapter 4, let me just kind of set the stage for you. The disciples were with Jesus. Jesus finishes teaching, and he says, I want to go to the other side of the Sea of Galilee. Okay, great. So they get in some boats, and Jesus immediately goes to sleep. Well, then, all of a sudden, a storm comes up. The winds, the waves, the rain. Now these men, you have to understand, many of the disciples were experienced fishermen. This wouldn't be anything they, were unused, they weren't used to. A little, little rain, a little storm. But that's not what this was. The Bible describes it as a furious squall. I don't understand what that is. But I think it's what the schools thought we were going to get today. <laughs> With that two-hour delay. So here comes this furious squall. And the disciples, they hold on as long as they can. They're like, okay, should we wake Jesus? We don't know what to do. We're all going to die. You know, they get super nervous. And so finally they wake Jesus and they ask this question that when each and every one of us have gone through tough circumstances, difficult days, we want to ask this same question. Here it is. Teacher, Don't you care if we drown? I want you guys to say that with me, but I don't want you to just say it regular. I'm feeling Pastor Gage. I'm channeling Pastor Gage tonight. I want you to say it in a very distressed voice. Can you do that with me? All right. I'm about halfway confident right now. Here we go. One, two, three. Teacher, don't you care if we drown? Exactly. That's a typical reaction when we start doubting. God, don't you care? I mean, if you know what I'm going through, don't you care? Aren't you going to show up? Aren't you going to do something? And so the critics and circumstances both are two common causes of doubt. Again, like I said earlier, there are so many more. We could just talk about that all night. But I think... The best use of our time is to talk about how do we keep doubts from defeating us? How do we keep our doubts from defeating us? We all have doubts. We're all going to have doubts. So how do we keep those from defeating us? Number one, admit 
your doubts. Admit your doubts. You cannot overcome them unless you admit them. I know so many people who are Christians who feel like, well, man, if I admit my doubts, like, is God going to be upset with me? I know we're supposed to have faith. I know that's supposed to be a thing. And I don't want God to be upset with me. Or I don't want to admit my doubts to my ministry leader or to my pastor. Because what if they don't look at me the same way? Or what if they don't give me the same opportunities they used to give me? I want to show you why that is not Jesus's mentality. You have John the Baptist. Now, John the Baptist is this incredible guy. He's the forerunner to Jesus. He is the one who was the herald in the wilderness. He was the one that made straight the path for Jesus. He's this incredible guy. He plays an important role in history. And let's look at Matthew chapter 11, verse 2 through 3. It says, When John heard in prison what Christ was doing, he sent his disciples to ask him, Are you the one who was to come? Or should we expect someone else? Note what's happening here, guys. John the Baptist, the guy who had the privilege and the honor to baptize Jesus, he saw the heavens part. He heard God's voice. This is my son in whom I am well pleased. He got to see all that. He got to see Jesus up close and personal. And yet what happens? He goes to prison. He's in a difficult circumstance. He's in a difficult situation. And just like each and every one of us, he begins to say, Jesus, are you really who I thought you were? Because I just want to make sure I'm starting to doubt a little bit. I'm starting to get worried. Did I make a mistake? Was I wrong? And look at verse 4 of the same chapter. Verse 4. It says, Jesus replied, Go back and report to John what you hear and see. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, and those who have leprosy are cured. The deaf hear, and the dead are raised, and the good news is preached to the poor. So Jesus then, after the disciples leave, he turns around, and he's not mad at John the Baptist for doubting. He doesn't rebuke those disciples and say, I can't believe you. Go tell John. He doesn't do any of that. As a matter of fact, he takes the opposite approach. Look at verse 11. Jesus tells the crowd, when the disciples leave, I tell you the truth, among those born of women, there has not risen anyone greater than John the Baptist. Jesus wasn't mad because John doubted. Jesus is saying here, hey, the, here, here's what I love about the Bible. I love that the Bible includes those people who messed up and doubted and fell short as well. Because it's easy to see when King David killed Goliath and he had that much faith and he stepped out and he believed in God. But I'm glad that it records people's failures too because it makes me feel like I can walk this thing out. Okay, Everybody's not perfect. I can be a Christian too. And that's exactly what Jesus is saying. John the Baptist, you had doubts? Hey, guess what? He's still an incredible guy. Hey, crowd, I want you to know I still love John and I'm grateful for John. I think about Thomas. Thomas is known as Doubting Thomas. 
for all of history. Man, what a way to be remembered. Here's what happens. Jesus is raised from the dead. Thomas isn't there in the room. Jesus appears to the disciples. And then Jesus leaves. Thomas comes back. And what happens? The disciples are like, hey, man, Jesus was here. He's alive. It's incredible. Thomas says, I won't believe until I put my finger in the nail print in his hand. I won't believe until I put my hand in his side. Here's what happens. A little while later, Jesus comes back. In John chapter 20, verse 27, Jesus tells Thomas, Put your finger here. See my hands. Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. He opened his arms in love to Thomas. He met Thomas where he was, and he helped him to believe. I don't know about you, but that makes me feel so much better that I know my doubts aren't offensive to God, but in spite of my doubts, his arms are open wide, and he says, come to me. I want to love on you. I want to reassure you, and I have a plan for your life. Do you guys ever doubt? I see heads nodding everywhere. Guess what? You're in good company. John the Baptist, Thomas, the Apostle Paul, and pretty much all of humanity. So if you doubt, that's not a bad thing. But then what do you do? You admit your doubts, and then number two, I want you to doubt your doubts. Doubt your doubts. I know what you're thinking. Pastor Andrew, what are you talking about? <laughs> Pastor Jim, see this sermon? <laughs> so you know what you're talking about. You know, it's ironic to me. So oftentimes, we believe our doubts, and we what? Doubt our beliefs. We do it exactly the opposite. Here's what I'm suggesting to you tonight. Believe your beliefs. And doubt your doubts. I want to show you in Scripture why that's the best plan. In Proverbs chapter 3, verse 5, it says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. If we, again, if we only believe what we can understand, if we only believe what we can know, we are going to have a miserable existence because there is so much that is outside of that realm. So here's what we do. We admit our doubts. We doubt our doubts. And then thirdly, we begin with the faith you already have. Begin with the faith you already have. Now I know you might be here tonight and you might say, Pastor Andrew, I know you don't know me. You're not normally at this campus. But I just started in church. I'm new to this whole Jesus thing. I, I have more Doubts than faith. Here's the good news. It doesn't take much. You can begin with even just a little bit of faith. <clears throat> in Mark chapter 9, there's a beautiful story in the Bible. This man comes to Jesus and he has a sick son, this son that is possessed by a demon. And Jesus looked at him and said, I can heal, I can heal your son if you will believe. 
And this man makes this classic statement. I want us to read it together all, all at once. One, two, three. Lord, I do believe. Help me overcome my unbelief. How many times have I felt like that? How many times have I said, God, I believe in you. I believe in who you are. And I, I hate to admit this, but God, there is some doubt too. There's some doubt festering in there. You can have the faith that God wants you to do something and be scared to death that it won't happen at the same time. Believe me, I know. Here this man, he's filled with both faith and doubt at the same time, and yet despite his doubts, Jesus does a miracle and heals his son. Here's the point. No matter how weak or how frail you think your faith is, guess what? It doesn't take much. The scripture, I heard somebody say it up here a minute ago. If you have faith as a mustard seed, Matthew 17, 20, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, nothing will be impossible for you. Now, I'll, I'll be honest with you guys. I'm not an agriculturalist. I'm not a farmer. I don't know a whole lot about that subject. But here's what I do know. It's not the size of the seed that matters to the harvest. It's not the size of the seed. It's where you plant it. Is that seed in good soil? And if it is in good soil, that seed will grow and it will be the plant that it is supposed to be. If that seed is not in good soil, it will have many barriers to growth. Here's my point. If we have faith as small as a mustard seed, but we plant that faith in Jesus Christ. He can do amazing things in us and through us. So we begin with the faith we already have. Let's get personal here for a moment tonight. I'm getting ready to end. <clears throat> what are you doubting? Over the six years I've been in ministry, here's the common thing. Does God care? Most of the time, doubts center on, does God care? I mean, if God knows me and loves me like he, you say he does, why did he allow this thing to happen? Why did he allow this person to leave? What's going on? Does God care? Some of you may be doubting God's love. If God loves me, why did he allow that in my life? I want to tell you, we've already I've already mentioned it earlier, it is perfectly fine to have those doubts. God is big enough. He can take those questions. He can take that disappointment. And He can, he can give you that grace to give you that time. But what was it in Thomas' life that turned him, in from, that turned him from Thomas the doubter into a believer. It was a personal encounter with Jesus Christ. It was a personal encounter with Jesus. So I want to say, if you're here tonight and you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, that's the first thing. That's the starting point. 
You have doubts? Hey, guess what? That is understandable. But God wants to meet you right here tonight. You may say, Pastor Andrew, I'm a Christian. I've been a Christian for a long time, and I still have some doubts. That's okay, too. Here's what I know. We're going to have some prayer warriors up here. We're going to have the staff up here. We want to pray with you because there is no substitute for a personal encounter with Jesus Christ. Bringing that thing, bringing that doubt to the cross. And so just like we've said every week during the series, not only do we want to show it to you in Scripture, but our hope is, and my hope is, that you will examine your own heart. And if you see doubt, I want you to bring it to the cross. And God will take that doubt and he will turn it into faith. Amen? Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, thank you for meeting us here tonight. Thank you, God, for what you're doing in this place. Lord, we all have doubts. Each and every one of us doubts about your care, doubts about your love. I believe that you have a plan and a purpose for each and every person here. I don't think it's by chance or by accident that any single person is here tonight. I believe it is by divine appointment. So God, I pray right now that you would help us to search our heart. And Lord Jesus, if there's doubt, God, we want to we do like Thomas, and we want to have a personal encounter with you. We want to get that doubt out of our lives, and we want to strengthen our faith so we can do what it is you're calling us to do. God, help us. God, help us. Lord, we know you can do it, and so we have the faith to say, Jesus, we need your help. We're coming to you tonight. Father, I pray that you would do amazing things in the lives of these people. I pray for this community as we prepare for our Easter celebration. Lord, that you would prick the hearts of people. Go before us as we get ready to invite. And Lord, bring people to church next week. Save souls, change lives, change destinies. Do what it is that only you can do. We love you and we praise you. In Jesus' name. And everybody said...